0: This episode of The Better Business Show is sponsored by Narrative Matters, creating content that sings for organisations that want to change the world. For more details about how we can help you develop amazing content that really works, check out narrativematters.co.uk.
1: Hello and welcome to The Better Business Show with me, Tom Idle. Thanks for tuning in. Coming up this week... Being a B Corp
2: feels like I've joined a club that I was always part of, but I just didn't know existed. I've been all about promoting corporate accountability, transparency, improved performance. And those are the three tenets that sit right at the heart of of being a B Corp.
1: Yes, this week we're in the company of Adam Garfunkel, a man that's been around the block supporting companies large and small in their quest to be better businesses. His company, Junction, has just become a B Corp. Stay tuned to find out what that means and why you should be very excited indeed. Yeah, Welcome back, uh, episode 20 of the Better Business Show. Thanks for tuning in and coming back to us. Uh, Usual format again this week. Uh, As I say, we're going to be hearing from Adam Garfunkel. Uh, from Junction, finding out about how he has been helping companies and looking at some of the challenges his clients have faced over the years, uh, but also looking at the B Corporation movement. Uh, his company has just become uh, one of the first uh, 100 in the UK to be registered as B Corp. So I know it's something that in North America has really taken off, so we'll be delving into to what that means and, and why you might want to, to join him in doing that. So stay tuned for all that. I've mentioned it the last few weeks now, we're gonna be producing this uh, PDF document that's gonna present all of the, the various pieces of advice and tips and insights that we've managed to garner from uh, all of our guests in the last 20 or so episodes of the Better Business Show, so they'll all be in one place and you can and have a good look through uh, that. We'll send it to you exclusively. Uh, just give us your email address and you'll subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Uh, go to betterbusiness.show Uh, scroll beneath the the series of episodes that we've got listed there and you'll find a box uh, give us your email address and we'll we'll make sure you get that cheat sheet when it comes out now yeah we're in our 20th uh, episode of the better business show uh, almost half a year of producing these weekly shows. I'll be honest, I didn't think we'd make it this far. Uh, But, you know, we're continuing. The response has been incredible, uh, overwhelming in fact, and we've built up a brilliant community now of listeners that tune in each week. Um, And right now, I guess I'm considering how we make the show viable for the long term. Uh, and also to make it even better. And I've been reluctant to ask for support from the outset, uh, but I feel like the time is right now to seek out some partners to really help support The Better Business Show and make it sustainable for the long term and make it a, a more valuable entity. So if you run a business that fancies becoming a commercial partner, for the Better Business Show, please do get in touch. Uh, we've got an awesome brochure that uh, we've made available online to download, again, on the homepage, betterbusiness.show, just scroll to the foot of that page, and you'll hit the link there uh, for the brochures document. Uh, all the details are in there uh, about how you can get involved. So if you're, if you're interested, uh, we'd love to have you on board. Anyway, let's get right on with this week's show. Uh, we caught up with Adam Garfunkel this week. He's a man that's, uh, well, he's been around the block, He's worked in the 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 arena of corporate sustainability for many years helping big companies small companies social enterprises uh, really formulate their sustainability plans communicate their values uh, and help companies become more responsible citizens as they aim to create more economic value and social value in uh, in the places they operate and his work has taken him all over the world not least in supporting the sportswear company Adidas for many years uh, in its various sustainability endeavours so you know he's a man that really knows his onions Um, and he uh, like so many of uh, our listeners out there I'm sure enjoys something that uh, frankly eludes many people in that his work and his core personal ideals and values and traits are so interlocked and connected that there's an incredibly fine line between work and play. It's something that, if you're lucky enough to work in in you know creating better and more sustainable businesses, uh, we enjoy. Uh, which is, we're very lucky to 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 do that. So as you can imagine, he was delighted for his company, uh, which is called Junction, uh, to become one of the UK's first B Corp registered companies. Uh, a chance to really practice what he's been preaching all these years to various companies that he's worked with. That companies basically should exist to create value for people and planet, not just shareholders. Uh, And yes, the word purpose is the most overused word in sustainability circles right now. I get that. Uh, But it's a theme that we will keep coming back to on this show, no doubt. Uh, Quite rightly, uh, as more and more of you find reasons to exist in the world and create positive change. Uh, After all, that's what it's all about, isn't it? Uh, Anyway, here's Adam. So, Adam, thanks for joining us here on uh, The Better Business Show. Uh, Slight departure for us this week. We normally meet a founder of a startup or a specific company, and then we usually get that person to introduce the company by giving us a kind of short elevator pitch. Uh, Perhaps you could do the same and and kind of sell yourself to us, Adam. I'm now the uh, MD of the London Office of Junction Strategy. That's Junction with an X.
2: Um, And we are a small consultancy that likes to think of ourselves as building the brands that change the world. So we, we support the development and growth of responsible leaders and sustainable brands working across uh, all the sectors, social, business, public. Um, we're fairly agnostic about that. And that means we work with social uh, entrepreneurs. We work with intrapreneurs, change agents within uh, traditional businesses and their teams to enhance their enterprises, social, environmental, uh, and financial performance.
1: Roll back even further. You, I mean, you started yeah. out as a, as, a, as a campaigner, didn't you, for Friends of the Earth, is I, that right? Th-
2: that's right. Um, in the UK, uh, I started out as a campaigner for Friends of the Earth in 1991. Um, and prior to that, roll back a couple, a couple of years, I, I'd spent two years living in, in Vancouver, Canada, and... Uh, had been a door-to-door canvasser for, first for Greenpeace, where Greenpeace was founded in Vancouver, of course, um, first for Greenpeace, and then for a local wilderness preservation group called the Western Canada Wilderness Committee. I think I knocked on pretty much every door in the city twice, raising, I don't know, close to $100,000, I think.
1: So uh, wh- um, what, what took you to Canada? Was it, was it the job itself, or is that where you grew up, or...? No, I didn't grow up there. A woman took me to Canada, Tom. <laughs> As I so often do. And what, what sort of sparked <laughs> that initial interest in, in kind of cause-related issues? Like, what, what was it that, that made you get into this in the, in the first place?
2: I can remember vividly watching the news in the mid-80s and seeing Greenpeace um, activists unfurl banners spelling S-T-O-P, stop, acid rain across uh, four smokestacks, I think, I'm right in saying, in four different Northern European countries. Right. Um, And I remember thinking, A, how cool is that? And B, damn right. And uh, and I think when I started working with Greenpeace, that was when I realized, I can actually, I can vividly remember, I turned to uh, a a colleague, a fellow canvasser, and I just said, wow, there's so much to do. (laughs) After I'd been working for a couple of months talking about pulp and paper mills and dioxins and stuff and uh, I guess it sort of yes it's become my uh, my life's work I suppose my career at least.
1: And do you find yourself saying the same thing now I mean this is the thing there's an element of frustration isn't there I mean I've been writing and talking about this stuff for for, for, you know many years as as well and you meet so many great companies, as we have done on the Better Business Show over the last few weeks, and, and you think, well, you know, why are things not changing within big business? Why are businesses still behaving so badly? Why are investors still not happy and still not interested in this stuff? Why are you know consumers still not really caring about this stuff? I mean, do you share that frustration? And does it totally? Just, yeah. Does it? What I mean, does it? How do you sort of stay positive? Uh, well, staying positive, I think,
2: is uh, you look you look for the the small wins and you and you take them and you and you celebrate them right you've got to you've got to enjoy the success when it comes and there and there have been successes so i mean if i think back to my campaigning days at at friends the earth i was working there in the sort of rump years of the of 18 years of of tory government between well i left just before date 97 so i left in 96 and what we did then it was it was hard work i was working in the industry and pollution campaign team but we you know, we had some significant successes. Um, A a friend just posted recently a picture of all of us that were involved in the sewer rats campaign, which forced the government's hand into introducing uh, the chemical release inventory so that we could find out what's going down our sewers. Uh, And that was an example of a a small campaign victory along the way, you know, during a government that wasn't particularly interested in tackling um, environmental pollution issues. But in that instance, we forced their hand. Or I think about my own particular work on the what became the 1995 Environment Act. So I had the responsibility and and privilege to be representing Friends of the Earth and lobbying on the f- freedom of information provisions within that piece of legislation, writing briefings for Joan Rolick, the opposition spokesperson, uh, who, to read into Hansard and to lobby for change at committee stage, to... Mm mobilize local activists and you know i'd be the first person to to acknowledge that frenzy earth lost the the big argument about registers of contaminated land the property industry and others claimed that it would blight land and that we'd never be able to uh, uh you know develop it there'd be no interest in it and so on but we did oh through that process gain better access to information provisions within the environment act so small wins yeah, so yeah. you know i think I think businesses moved on a long way since those days. Since I was naming and shaming them, at Friends of the Earth, not far enough by any means.
1: No, no. But,
2: no. But, but there have definitely been developments over the twenty or thirty years I've been working in this.
1: Yeah, and, and still more to do. Uh, what sort of clients are you working with right now? I'm, presumably they're kind of on the more progressive, enlightened end of the spectrum, are they? Who? who what types of companies are you working with?
2: The interesting thing that. We have a junction is that we work across the uh, social uh, from social enterprises, right? Small social enterprises, largely out of our Vancouver office, um, to bigger companies, largely out of the London office. So we we have a range of clients. The ones that I'm particularly engaged with, um, I think, to mention a couple would be uh, Nordea Bank, uh, which is not very well known in the UK, which is Scandinavia's largest bank with over 10 million customers and i've been working with them on articulating their sustainability strategy in a more compelling way helping them work through that process they've been uh, really run with that uh, and started to genuinely integrate sustainability thinking across their business not just in their kind of investment decisions uh, area but across their business uh, making you know boldly recognizing that they need, they need to tackle climate change. Um, they've said that they will be looking to, you know, divest uh, largely um, from companies that have that use coal and oil as as the principal um, profit driving uh, uh, material in their in their business. So it, it's great working with those businesses, helping them to articulate their strategy, to report in a more engaging way, uh, and really to. To drive that change across the businesses that have such a such a footprint.
1: Yeah, and I, I was going to ask you because I mean, obviously, we we don't always have the, uh, the 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 uh, the the benefit of choosing our clients. But who who would be an ideal client for for you guys? Like, you know, who do you want to work with? At what at what point on the journey are they traditionally?
2: It's interesting you ask that. i We think about this ourselves, of course, when we're thinking about um, which clients we want to, as it were, pursue. And I, I suppose the We look at corporate responsibility as having a number of of, of levels to it. You know, if you go right back, there are some companies who aren't thinking about it at all. Uh, And there are some companies who perhaps have only tackled CSR or sustainability in a very rudimentary way, perhaps starting to think about their philanthropic activities and starting to think about whether those should be a bit more aligned with their core business activity. So those... I think once they've got to that stage, I think there's a really interesting opportunity to help companies do, uh, do more, think more strategically about their, their impact um, and, and to develop. So uh, I think, that, you know, literally hundreds of companies we could choose from who are, who are at that level. Mm. Um, but, but of course, on a sort of impact scale, I mean, it'd be great to work with household name brands like, I don't know, the John Lewis Partnership or someone like that. Mm. Those kind of companies that I think are in everyone's day-to-day lives, or week-to-week lives at least, yeah. um, and, and to really help them uh, position themselves and to, uh, as, as leaders in this area and take that leadership through to encouraging different consumer behaviours.
1: But, but looking at that, that, that the sort of bulkier group of companies that you might want to work with, the, you know, the hundreds of companies you, you describe, I mean, what are the kind of common problems that you you might help them overcome like what what is it they're kind of grappling with why would they need help the
2: conversations generally revolve around engaging employees internally and engaging the senior management team to the degree that there will then be some investment in in this program of work Uh, lots of companies even companies of you know a middling size or a few hundred people um, might invest very, very little in this area other than some community-based uh, initiatives or maybe, uh, you know, a day, a year for, for volunteering or something. And the questions that we get asked are around how can we do this more strategically? How can we link this to um, what we're all about as a business? How do we get more people engaged? How do we change the minds of the senior management? How can we get some resources allocated to this? What's going to make it compelling? And And we... You know, we think there's opportunities for many, many companies to think through those sorts of questions uh, and come up with, There are often very good answers. You know, if, if you think about the off sighted millennial generation, make up roughly half of the workforce. They want to take their values to work with them. They don't want to leave them at home. So in terms of employment, re- both recruiting and retaining employees, Clearly, there's a benefit if you can show that you're a values-aligned business or a mission-aligned business or at least have started to think about how you have a bigger impact as a business. Of course, there are also arguments about attracting investors or even perhaps new customers through being more explicit and strategic about your sustainability credentials and ambitions. So Mm. plenty of upsides to be had, um, but it's not straightforward. And I think people within a business, I mean... I've worked with several who, they, you know, they'll be doing CSR on the side. It'll be, mm. Mm. it'll be not their day job, right? Or there'll be one person whose day job it is, off, you know, in a little silo somewhere. Mm. And those people have a tremendously difficult time in getting any traction on this issue. You know, they don't have the time to invest in it. They don't have the uh, internal commitment to to look into it. Um, the company may not be feeling any particular drivers to to tackle this issue. I mean, I think. You know, if you think about a, a clothing brand or a sportswear brand that we've done some work with, of, of course theres there's been drivers to tackle some issues. But for many, many, say, professional services businesses, it may not be so obvious what that is. Um, so it can be hard for that single person or those people who are doing CSR or sustainability work as a part-time, you know, other, second yeah. activity to, yeah. to really in- invest what's needed um, in the... You know gaining internal advocates, getting things discussed at the top uh, table, um, getting commitment uh, and action underway
1: yeah uh, you mentioned sportswear I know you've done uh, previous work with with adidas and a number of other yeah. sportswear apparel uh, companies I mean it's an industry that's faced a whole storm of of different challenges in recent years you know raw material sourcing, worker conditions in factories i mean it's hugely challenging sector but also fascinating I mean it must be, must be great to be doing some work uh, in that field.
2: Absolutely I've really enjoyed the, the years I've worked with Adidas they, they've been um, really really hard working and diligent in this area um, I mean people often are surprised to hear that they have a team of about 65 who work on social environmental affairs full-time wow. um, it's something yeah it's something they take very seriously. And they they produce you know lots of guidance for their uh, suppliers. I mean they have you know knocking for around about a thousand different suppliers. So I mean there's plenty of you know it's a big big company of course. And mm. um, they so it's not just about policing. It's not just about you know giving suppliers a hard time. It's also about building capacity, uh, training um, suppliers so they can understand. What, let's say, Adidas Group's ambitions are, what they, what standards they're expecting their suppliers to meet, um, and then how to meet them, what they need to do to, yeah. to comply. Right. Um, so it's a tremendously interesting field. I mean, of course, it's very, very complex. I mean, you know, why are, why are business uh, decisions that Adidas or other clothing companies make. Made so late? Well, they're often made late because the designers and, and and developers back in the business don't want to overcommit until they know exactly what you know that the right color is for this season, yeah. and exactly how many of of each item the their different retail customers want, and so they don't want to get that wrong because they'll probably have a deal in place with that retailer. They have to take that those items back if they're not sold. Yeah. So that means very, very late decisions are made, which means it can put a lot of pressure on the manufacturing partners to deliver, which can mean you end up running into issues of, of um, excessive overtime uh, or of uh, wastage. So, you know, the system that those businesses work within makes the industry uh, and its impacts you know pretty thorny. Uh, problems to solve but super interesting and uh yeah it's it's fascinating as you say
1: and are, are we seeing that system starting to change i mean how you know how far away is adidas from where it wants to be would you say right now
2: well i i didn't work on this on this project but they have just issued uh, uh their last report and, and included in it Uh, a new sustainability strategy, which uh, they say is very closely linked to their overall business strategy. So every five years, they have a a new sort of five-year roadmap. And there's sustainability ambitions that are woven right into that 2015-2020 business strategy, as they should be, of course. And um, that's great that they've been able to do that uh, uh, now. I think Adios Group would be the first to say that they have made good progress but there's plenty more to do um they're not arrogant about this at all um they but you know they are starting to do some interesting things there's bit there's that partnership with parley for the oceans that they announced last year uh right where they're taking ocean waste and turning that into um new product so there are some very interesting Uh, developments are happening across that sector and of course there's across the whole sector there's there's initiatives such as the Sustainable Apparel Coalition which is looking hard at raw material sustainability, at um, chemical use again also the Zero Discharge of Hazardous Chemicals initiative um, that's looking to basically eliminate those from the industry by 2020. There are some sector-wide initiatives in these industries that are starting to have some real impact make some real change for the better and and rightly so and i think that anything companies have been slow slow to get there but they're definitely underway um and starting to get some real traction and i think it's super interesting how those collaborations are you know promising some real change tackling some of those system-wide uh problems that i was referencing earlier
1: um, Adam, one of the, the things that I was very keen to, to get you on the show and talk about was the fact that that Junction, your consultancy, has become one of the first of the UK's uh, B corporations. Um, yes. How did that come about? Is it something you've been thinking about doing for a while?
2: It is actually yes. We so we're headquartered in Vancouver. London is the second office of two, and. I don't know how much you know about Vancouver, but it's a it's a city with a a fairly kind of cutting edge, um, progressive business community. Um, In fact, there are, I think, over 100 Canadian B Corps. So uh, Canada as a whole is is a fairly progressive um, business community, I think. I mean, there are only about 1700 B Corps in the whole world. So it's something that had been on 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 our radar for a while. Um, and we went through the process, uh, started at the end of last year, and, and got certified um, at the beginning of this
1: year. Okay. And so, what what was the sort of decision making process behind it? What was what was the reason to do this? Was it about trying to get that competitive edge, or was it just something that felt right for for you and and your own kind of personal values?
2: You know, we we hope there's a competitive advantage to it, but I would be it would be disingenuous to say that's why we did it. We, you know, this. <laughs> Being a B Corp, Tom, feels like I, I've joined a club that I was always part of, but I just didn't know existed. Right. This right. is, you know, in in terms of the work I've done since I left Frenzya, so it's been 20 years now working in small consultancies um, with often big business, I've been all about uh, promoting corporate accountability, transparency, improved performance. And those are the three tenets um, that sit uh, right at the heart of, of being a B Corp. Yeah. So you have to you have to change your articles of association right. to say that you will consider all stakeholders, not just the shareholders, in your business decision making. So it enshrines a much more inclusive form of business or form of capitalism into the into the very legal uh, documents that drive your business.
1: Yep.
2: Uh, you have to meet the performance standard so you have to score 80 out of 200 on the b impact assessment which is doesn't sound that difficult but is actually pretty tough i think the median score is 55 of the companies that have have taken the impact measurement test and you then have to disclose that so you have to uh, put your report up on the b corporation website you have to have um, any relevant uh, disclosures uh, alongside that so if you've had a i don't know a A labor rights issue in your factory or something i mean that wouldn't pertain to us but you'd have to you'd have to mention that you would have to say what the issue was and how you resolved it and so on so um accountability performance and transparency about that performance are the uh founding tenants both of uh what's needed to be a b corp and of the the messages that I've been giving businesses for 20 years and I think uh, yeah. more business should be should be adhering to I've been promoting a I I suppose a more inclusive f- form of business f- the whole time I've been working with businesses uh, more accountability to stakeholders and so on mm. so yes be- being a B Corp is is uh, I guess it embodies my sense of uh, the potential for business to be a force for good in the world yeah. and and in fact, the the need for it to be a force for good in the world, I mean, it. it, it I come from the NGO community, I value highly the work that um, NGOs do, but businesses, as we all know, are an enormous part of the global economy, the vast majority of it, and we're not going to reach some you know, healthier planet without engaging with the business community and encouraging more of them to become a force for good in the world. Yeah, so I'm, yeah, yeah. you know, proud proud to be uh, one of the first hundred B corps in the UK, uh, and and proud to be, you know, espousing those values and to, talking to people about about those values in general, and also about
1: about B corps. Yeah, so it's a, a very small, uh, but budgeting group of uh, companies in the UK right now. But um, I mean, is it is it for everybody? Do you think, Adam? I mean, is it is it something that every company should should think about i mean what what are the sort of considerations if you're running a business and you think actually this could be a way of kind of communicating how we want to do business i mean what what are the kind of potential pitfalls of going down this route
2: well i I don't know that I describe them as as pitfalls i I mean I th- you know some companies might see see it as a drawback that you need to report on your performance i I just think that's yes that's uh, it's a burden but it doesn't have to be an excessive burden. and I think it's also the right thing to do, given that the power that companies have, they ought to be transparent. Uh, they ought to be reporting their social and environmental impact, and they ought to be aiming to have a net positive impact mm. uh, in the world. And, and so anything that drives businesses forward to do that, I think has got to be a good thing. I, I'm sure some businesses would consider the, the need to report to be a burden. Uh, the legal accountability test is an interesting one i mean again i think that's vital to the nature of, of being a b corp that it's right in there at the heart of of our articles of association and i know that there have been some companies who have approached uh b lab which is the charity that sits behind and and administers um the b corporation movement they've been approached by companies that have said uh, look, we'll give you a ton of money and we'd love to be a B Corp. We'd love to be part of your community. We'd be, you know, we'd be a really valuable member of your community. But could you just, could we just not do that legal change thing? Because <laughs> yeah. we don't want to do that. And it's like, yeah, yeah no. I mean, <laughs> it, it, that no, that, that's absolutely part of it. And, and uh, so I, I guess companies that are um, publicly listed will probably face, a challenge as to how to become a b corp yeah. um but on the other hand uh, it, it's been publicized that, that unilever and who of course are the parent company of ben and jerry's which is one of the you know f- uh, early adopters of the b corp uh, standard uh, they are you know looking into what b corporation uh, status could maybe mean for them how would they do it or at least how can they learn from um, what B corporations stand for. So, you know, if Unilever can can look into this, then any company can look into it, um, and I would certainly encourage them to do so. For me, I see upsides. I, you know, I genuinely do. I yeah. I think if you can if you can wear a, a badge that says yeah, you know, that just they're, doesn't just say you're you know you've got some fair trade product lines, but your whole business is a net positive business, or at least it's aiming to be a net positive business. Um, I I can't really see many drawbacks to that. I mean, you must attract more uh, interesting recruits. You, everyone knows that being able to articulate your social purpose uh, gives you some an advantage in the world. That you know, the word purpose is being perhaps the most overused word of 20, 2016. Um, <laughs> but uh you know to 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 run the risk of uh, contributing to that you know it is vital that you know what your purpose is as a business, and I think being able to articulate it in terms of of a benefit for people and the planet as well as you know the profits that the shareholders will take out of the business must be a good thing yep. um and uh you know perhaps tr- attracting investment uh i mean you know all sorts of upsides and so yes i I can see it being difficult for some companies but I can't see the as it were, the net uh, balance of, of positives and negatives really coming down on the negative side.
1: Before we let you go, I mean, is there one company, if you could point to one company that our listeners should seek out for inspiration, someone that you think, you know, a company that you think is really doing some great stuff, perhaps one that we've probably not really talked about on the show or is being talked about widely. Is there, is there an example you could give us?
2: Well, I, I, I've got to say I'm, I've been impressed by IKEA over the last twelve months. I think they're doing some interesting stuff, and okay. for their for their head of sustainability to say, you know, we've reached peak stuff, as he did at the beginning of uh, this year. Uh, you know, here in the developed world in the Western world, we don't need more stuff. We've got enough stuff. We've got to work out how we make do with less stuff. Um, as a home furnishings business, for the for their head of sustainability, one imagines with the, you know, approval of his of his senior management. To be saying that and to be putting that into the, into the public domain as a, as a topic for discussion, I think that's bold uh, and, and right and demonstrates real leadership. Um, I mean, they're putting a ton of money into renewable energy, uh, uh, you know, 20 billion euros, I think it is, by 2020, um, you know, getting all their sites to be um, running off renewable energy, which they think just makes them a more resilient business. I mean, you know, they're they're doing some interesting interesting stuff, and and again, they're taking that right through to what their customers are doing, and that's I think the particularly interesting end of of where they're going. So they're helping their customers think about living more sustainable lifestyles in the home. Yeah. So if they can if they can crack that um, in any meaningful way, they'll have done all of us a service, won't they? So uh, yeah. I think they're they're really one to admire at the moment. I'm I'm I've been very impressed with them. I think listen that. Their ownership structure means that the, the way that they um, pay taxes is probably uh, open to challenge, but uh, thats I think there's still plenty plenty to admire about what they're doing.
1: Brilliant. Adam, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for uh, sharing all your insights and advice and and all the, 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 the insight into becoming a, a B Corporation. Uh, fascinating stuff. So we wish you all the best with everything and uh, thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you, Tom. It's been a pleasure.
1: Adam Garfunkel there, uh, Managing Director of Junction, one of the UK's first B corporations. Uh, all of the details on Junction and Adam and uh, what he's up to can be found online within our show notes. Uh, head over to betterbusiness.show for that. Right, okay, it's time for a brief update on the news from across the world of sustainable business. Let's find out who's doing what and why with Vicky Knowles. Welcome back, Vix. Thanks for joining us once again here on the Better Business Show. How are you doing?
0: I'm good. It's always good to be here, Tom.
1: Good, good. Glad to hear it. Um, what you got for us?
0: Uh, so some really cool stories this week. Uh, first up, what if I told you that there was a vodka made from San Francisco's fog? Well, a distillery called Hangar One is doing just that. Um, so they were wanting to make something that champions both sustainability and local production, so they decided to collect water from fog. So how do you do that, you may ask? They teamed up with non-profit FogQuest, who set them up with fog catches in four spots around the Bay Area, described in this article on time as sheets of mesh that get waterlogged as the fog floats through them, sending drops down into a trough. And then it's run through a carbon filtration to get rid of things like leaves that end up in the mix. And then finally, it's distilled with grape wine from a biodynamic vine- vineyard sorry, in California's central coast. Um so over six months, Hangar One has collected enough fog water to make two, 2,400 bottles and the vodka will cost you $125 a pop. Um, but in their defence, they're donating 100% of the profits back to water com- conservation.
1: Okay, and this is another one of those sort of Californian businesses trying to work out ways of saving water. And it's also one of those headlines you read and you think, actually, that can't be the case, can it? And, uh, you know, what I think they call them clickbait. Uh, headlines and I think we've all been guilty of writing those Um, but yeah I mean well I mean is it a novelty is it a gimmick is it a a way of tapping into the kind of hipster movement I think it's probably all of the above Uh, but yeah I think something refreshingly honest about what they're saying about this vodka and they say that yeah they are playing around with convention uh, but they do recognize that it's gimmicky and it is expensive 125 dollars
0: yeah it's a lot but I mean it's it's kind of an experiment I think or at least that's what I think they're they're framing it as so you know see see what the crowd thinks you know
1: yeah I, I, I don't, I'm not sure, entirely sure how committed they are to trying to sort of mainstream uh this but it'd be be interesting to see if anyone else picks it up as a as a way of uh of yeah creating vodka it's brilliant really
0: Definitely. I would, I would try it if it was, you know, not quite so expensive. If it was in the mainstream, I'd be like, oh, that's interesting.
1: Yeah, well, I bet you would. Um, anyway, story <laughs> for me this week, The Body Shop. The Body Shop, um, everyone's favourite ethical business. We, we mentioned them a few weeks back when they launched their new uh, sustainability goals and a wide-ranging programme of things Uh, to become what they want to become, which is the world's most sustainable company. Um, And as the programme plays out, they're going to be updating us. They told us they're going to be updating us quite regularly, and we've had the first kind of update. And this one's about monkeys. And, um, yeah, part of the the programme is about restoring Forests that have been damaged and forests are in parts of the world that that the body shop is sourcing a number of its ingredients for uh, the cosmetics it produces. And uh, it's something called Bio Bridges Programme and it's working with the, the World Land Trust to build a bio bridge in a region of Vietnam, as a way of restoring wildlife corridors that um, and really helps endangered spe- species kind of reconnect with each other. Um, and every time a customer makes a transaction in any of the, the body shop stores anywhere in the world, the retailer says it's going to plant, protect, or regenerate one square metre of forest uh, and build these kind of bio-bridges. and. and uh, it's basically, it's kind of... Chris Davies, who's the uh, the Director of Corporate Responsibility at The Body Shop, he says it's a bit like a dating service for endangered species. And they're really playing on this notion of kind of bringing different animals together uh, in, in their marketing and the way they kind of communicate with people in the stores. And they've launched this campaign called Help Reggie Find Love and it's hashtag find Reggie love, uh, used on social media. And it's hoping to bring... A serious kind of issue of biodiversity to life in a, in a sort of in, entertaining way and, and in, in a way that really sort of um, engages consumers in stores so it's uh, yeah it's brilliant what do you think of this?
0: I love this as you might imagine um, <laughs> and I love how Reggie the monkey has his own bio page on the Body Shops blog
1: does he? I didn't see that <laughs> it is
0: like yeah I'm from the rainforest and this, these are my interests and hobbies <laughs> um, but it's such a great way to personalise the issue for those who might not be as engaged, like every square meter of restored rainforest brings Reggie closer to his future beloved. Oh, um, you know, like sustainability can be quite fun and accessible. And, you know, sometimes terms like carbon dioxide emissions or in this case, bio bridges might not be immediately understandable. Yeah. But, yeah. but framing them in like quirky ways like this, uh, you know, like a monkey's perspective helps make it more interesting and, and quite mem- memorable, really.
1: Yeah, that's right. And the consumers that use the body shop, I guess they're all kind of bought into to the, the, the body shop's values and the way it does business. And, you know, it's focus on, on fair trade, ethical trade. But I guess, yeah, as you say, there's some issues, like biodiversity and uh, kind of endangered species which, which don't always connect. And I think anything they can do to, to help uh, sort of build that bridge is, uh, well, so to speak, is, um, is is brilliant. So, yeah, have a look at that. Uh, hashtag find Reggie love.
0: So next up, I've got a story about cigarettes. <laughs> um, did you know that six trillion cigarettes are produced every year and create 1.2 million tons of toxic, chemically garbage? Well, I didn't know that. Um But the team at RMIT University in Australia found that using cigarette butts actually makes for better building bricks. So apparently if you pop them in, it cuts the energy used to make fire bricks by half, as well as making them better insulators, not to mention trapping in the pollutants from the cigarette butts inside the brick rather than letting them leach into the environment. And apparently it does have quite big potential as well. So the research leader, senior lecturer Abbas, Maharani notes in his, in this Gizmag in this gizmo article that I was reading. Um, he says, this research shows that if just 2.5% of the world's annual brick production incorporated 1% of cigarette butts, we could completely offset annual worldwide cigarette production. So it's kind of a win-win situation, right?
1: Oh, that's amazing, isn't it? I, discarded cigarette butts is huge, is a huge problem. And I, you know, the money that local authorities must spend on on cleaning it up and, and dealing with it, which is quite hard to, to do, must be extortionate uh, i mean it 's one of the things I love about the town I live in i don 't know what it's, what it 's like with you in Bristol there vix but there 's a zero tolerance approach to to dropping cigarette butts in, in Maidstone uh, on the spot fines of seventy quid and there 's a team of enforcers that kind of go around all the time in in the town centre and it's it 's a great move but um I love this idea of, of, of kind of repurposing a, a particularly a problematic uh, form of waste in, uh, in creating something something else. I'm not too sure how I'd feel about living in a house that was kind of built with bricks that have got cigarette butts in them. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You know, it's weird, isn't it?
0: But do you mean from like um, a fire hazard sort of perspective?
1: No, just the idea of being surrounded by cigarette butts, even if they are kind of embedded into the bricks. I don't know. It's just weird.
0: It is weird, although I don't know. I, I guess it's better there than in landfill,
1: well, absolutely, yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, it is odd. It's, it's one of those kind of innovative ideas that you have to get used to the idea of.
1: Yeah, and that's it. Um, no, it's interesting. It'd be interesting to see whether there's other applications that could make use of cigarette butts as well. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. So d- June 24th is a big day for us. It's, um, we'll be waking up on June 24th and we, we'll be finding out whether we are... Uh, still, citizens of the European Union, following the UK's referendum the day before, but June 24th, it's also Bring Your Dog to Work Day, and uh, yeah, it's a story I picked up on from the Guardian, which explores the the, the various companies that have, have uh, an open policy in allowing staff to bring their their pets into work on a regular basis. Uh, Nestle, uh, obviously the owner of Purina, the the cat and food. Uh, sorry, cat and dog food uh, company, uh, is doing it. Mars, uh, which obviously has a big pet care business as well, they're they're doing it, uh, and they've been doing it for a while now. Basically, they say that staff uh, feel more relaxed and and less stressed when they have their their dogs in the office. Uh, There's some research that's been done by Virginia Commonwealth University over in the US, which studied the stress levels of employees of a manufacturing company, uh, who brought their dogs to work, and they found that the work the workers actually felt significantly less stress throughout the day than those who do not bring a dog to work. So, loads of evidence opening up about uh, dogs in the workplace, and I think there's something in this. Uh, what, what do you think, Vix? I know you're, you know, a massive animal lover. We regularly hear your your cat <laughs> uh, Blue in the background on the Better Business Show. Uh, yeah. I guess you get to experience the joys of being around pets all the time working from home. But I guess you'd love this, wouldn't you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And she's actually right next to uh, the computer right now. Um, I don't know if her purring got in just a second ago. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I think this is this is a really great idea. And I see a lot of articles about this, to be honest. Um, but normally I see it referring to cool alternative startups where they have like a canine mascot on their team page or like customer happiness officer and they've got some sort of title. But I see it less with big business. But obviously, as you're saying, the, you know, Mars and stuff have been doing it for a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, the only That's- thing that struck me was like the Purina brand. Uh, obviously, Nestle have Purina brand, but they're also known for their chocolate, and the two don't really mix. If you have dogs, sort of getting into the chocolate cupboard, I don't know.
1: Dogs <laughs> chocolate. Also, I mean, it's a big you know, sustainability story for Purina in every sense of the word. The more people that have pets and feel more comfortable about having pets, uh, if they can bring them into the office and not worrying about them, you know, sort of leaving them at home, then uh, yeah, sales of, of, of pet food will go through the roof.
0: That's a very good point actually. Um I remember at two degrees there was an office dog. There was a Bertie, the
1: little Yeah, yeah I do remember that. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was That's, nice. That was nice. But of course, nice. um, you know, everyone spoke to the dog when they walked past, but they were like, Oh yeah, hi to the to the owner. Yeah. Didn't see you there. So I don't know <laughs> they didn't really go into that how that feels for the <laughs> for the pet owner but um, I'm sure you'll put it in the show notes it's a really good article actually for your listeners to read it is isn't it good
1: All right, Vix well thank you for joining us and uh, thanks for all your updates Um, anything planned for the week ahead
0: Um, so I'm working today you know I I don't get my uh, I I don't think of bank holidays as anything special anymore being self-employed I'll be keeping up with the blog if anyone's uh, missed the episode where I mentioned it it's sustygirl.co young young women who are into sustainability people and planet that kind of thing um and yeah i'm uh, looking at a house today sorry not a house a flat I'm, I'm looking to rent somewhere new so could be some interesting changes on the horizon
1: oh you're uh, you staying in bristol
0: yeah still in bristol um but we're looking to go somewhere not so near the main road <laughs> somewhere a bit nicer so um but not set in stone yet we're just gonna have a look Okay. which would be nice. But um, I actually wanted to do a little shout out to your your listeners. Um, I'm curious as to what you guys think of this uh, this segment. Do you like it? I mean, if you've got this far and you can hear me speaking about this, hopefully you do. But I'd love to hear your comments and uh, even improvements. Um, so you should tweet us at Tom Idle, at underscore Vicky Knowles, V-I-K-K-I, Knowles like Beyonce Knowles. Don't forget the underscore at the beginning. And, and tell us you can you can
1: be honest yeah it's a good point actually vix okay yeah obviously don't don't be too honest um don't but be no. too honest yeah but also yeah uh, second the uh, the susty girl blog very very much uh recommended to our listeners so do check that out but uh we'll have a good week uh good luck with the house hunting and uh, we'll see you again next week
0: thank you hope you have a good week as well
1: that's it for another week thanks for tuning in uh, please don't forget, in the meantime, to subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. And please help us spread the word about The Better Business Show via social media uh, or any other methods you so choose. Next week, we'll be reporting from uh, the world's first carbon-neutral brewery in, in the town of Gurs in uh, in Austria. Uh, so I'm going to be down there with the guys from Heineken to find out how you produce beer without any negative impact on the planet It'd be fascinating to, to find out what's happening there uh, so yeah be sure to tune back in next monday to do that uh, until then goodbye <laughs>